Hello and welcome to Book Lovers Companion. My name is Edith and right next to me is my lovely co-host, The Chattering Teacup. Hello. And here with us, independent author and poet, Laura De Novis Berry. Hello, Laura, and welcome at Book Lovers Companion. Hello, thank you for having me. Thank you for being here. And we said before we started the recording, we have to admonish you for not telling us about your poems about rugby and women. <laughs> I'm very sorry I didn't tell you. <laughs> My deepest apologies. <laughs> That's fine. It was it was interesting to find out because we also enjoy watching rugby a lot. And okay. you have to tell us, of course, before we dive into your other books, in your fantasy books, about this collection of poetry about rugby and women. When? How? What? Tell us. <laughs> so I started off writing poetry seriously. Um, I went to school for writing. Poetry was what I really dove into. And after years of playing rugby, I wanted to write poems about it. Um, I thought it would be a fun exercise. I was trying to play with different forms. Uh, I was studying different forms at the time on my, on my own. And then we got a shape ball, which I thought it's sort of a love letter to the sport and to the women who play it. And it's also, I think, I think it's important to show that even, you know, even when you are in a, in a realm where you are supporting other women and you are trying to build other women up, you're still playing a competitive violent sport. And sometimes you do just want to hit each other. So I think that that's, uh, I wanted to get in a little bit of the, of the weeds of feminism and then as well, we're like, yeah, you, you, you do love each other in a sense, even if you don't know these women, but you also, sometimes you kind of hate each other too, because you want that spot on the field. And I think getting the full picture of, it's not always a loving sisterhood all the time. There's, there's, you have, Women in and of themselves aren't angels. They have this amazing kaleidoscope of personalities and pictures and violence and compassion in them both. And I, I wanted to put that into egg-shaped balls. So that's what we got. It's a tiny little thing, but I'm hoping maybe someday there will be a, a second part to it. So we'll have to see where we go. You just mentioned you played rugby yourself. How did that happen? I mean, you are in the United States. I mean, it's rather unusual, Not isn't very it? very common there. Yeah. It's starting to get bigger. It's starting to get more popular. I started playing in college. Oddly enough, my high school team had, they existed. No one really knew what it was, but they were there. And I was always too scared to try it. And then I got to college and one of the girls on the team at recruitment day, they had all the tables at all the clubs, all the fraternities and sororities. This girl saw me sort of look at it and she whipped a postcard at me and said, <laughs> you want to play rugby? I went, okay. So that's how I started playing. Um, I've been playing since I believe 2012. So it's been quite a long time. There's still, I'm, I'm always learning. I still don't know all the rules. <laughs> Nobody does. Uh, but I, I, for the most of my rugby career played as a lock. And I've started to shift out to flanker, which has been nice. I don't have my face squished all the time, which is great. But I do, yeah, being a part of the pack is is my favorite place to be. I love being a forward. Yeah. And do you also watch rugby on a regular basis? I try to. That's where it gets a little harder over here. Um, thankfully, I'm in an area where it's easy to go watch people play live. Uh, mm -hmm. But watching the professionals play, you kind of have to do some digging online to find... Mm -hmm. Thankfully, we have a lot of people, uh, my teammates, who love to watch it. So they'll always share links with where you can watch it. But so unfortunately, I don't watch as much as I want to. 
but I try. Uh, <laughs> If I can find the source, I try. <laughs> okay. And do you have a favorite team or a favorite national team even? Because, I mean, we do have a rugby national team in Austria as well. Um, but it's old, very low. Yeah, it's very yeah. low. But yeah. all, uh, Internationally. I have, yeah, I have to admit my all-time favorites are the All Blacks. So guilty as charged. <laughs> I don't think anyone's going to fault you for that. Um, I mean, I have to, I mean, I guess I have to say my favorite team is my team, the Phoenixville White Forest team. <laughs> But, um, you know, if I'm, if I'm watching professional, I'm going to root for USA, got to root for the home. But it is, I mean, you can't not love the All Blacks, but like, yeah. But it's been fascinating. I over the pandemic, I um, tried to start my own rugby team when I was I was living in a different state, and I was trying to learn more about professional rugby. So I was starting to listen to British podcasts, wow. and that was fun. Learning about like the the women professional and club teams over there was so much fun. So like I I had a little bit of a soft spot for the British teams, but like I said, you know you gotta keep it home. I can't. <laughs> But you said you, you said just you listen to um, podcasts about rugby. Do you also listen to Mike Tindall's podcast? I don't think I found that one. Yeah, you should look it up because he's okay. he's married to Sarah, the daughter of the royal, uh, the princess royal, oh, Princess oh, Anne, okay. and he was he was a professional rugby player. Wow. Okay, I will have to add that to my list. Yeah. <laughs> See awesome. something? Yeah, something to look to look up. I mean, you. So did you two ever play rugby, or did you just find it and loved it? It just find it and loved it. I mean, she found it first. Decap found it first. Then I came to it as well. And I have to admit, since the 2015 World, World Champ Cup, yeah. World Cup, we are absolute fans, yeah, and we I mean, we did watch uh, other teams. But it's a bit tricky here as well to get yeah. to get uh, to watch it. Well, yeah. The first game I saw was more than 20 years ago when I was in Australia. So it was an um, uh, Australian rugby league game, a bit different rules. That would be so much fun. It was fun, but I didn't understand all of it. <laughs> but um, yeah, and uh, when we found out that you had the possibility to watch it somewhere over here, um, yeah, we started doing that. That's awesome. But yeah. The, yeah, the Austrian, the Austrian national team is not that... I, mean, I think there are only two teams anyway in yeah, Austria. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. That's yeah, the other no. thing that's, I mean, I know it's kind of when you're starting to learn about rugby and you want to learn about all the leagues, there's already so many different leagues and classes and divisions, and you can get lost just trying to figure out who's playing who and who belongs in what yep. league. Yep. So that's another, I mean, especially, I mean, here it's pretty simple. There's not a lot going on, but when I was trying to dive into the, professional realm overseas you know i was like oh my god whose league am i supposed to be paying attention to right now <laughs> yeah it's it's hard to decide isn't it i mean <laughs> it's, and it's also hard to watch everything because you can't mm. do that and yeah. in one way we want to watch the southern hemisphere with um australia new zealand and um south africa but you also want to watch the the british league and maybe french mm. is not so bad too but yeah you can't do that no you, yeah. you could sit in front of the tv all the time all the day <laughs> yep. so, unfortunately not it's the same with books isn't it i mean yeah Uh, I would read all the time if I hadn't do a day job. Yeah, no, no, oh, well, yeah. Let's, let's not mention that. <laughs> so no, anyway, so, but how did you go from writing poems about the egg-shaped ball to writing fantasy for children? Tell us well, about that. 
I would love to. Um, I actually have this book, Death at Dustbar College, was a birthday gift for one of my nephews. Uh-huh. And I didn't know where to get him. So I decided <laughs> I was going to write him a book. And this is actually the first prose book that I've ever written or have really finished. I mean, I had manuscripts when I was a kid, you know, lying around. But this was the first thing that from start to finish actually got done. And you may have noticed the ending's a bit rushed because we were getting closer and closer to his birthday. And I went, oh no, I have to finish this now. <laughs> so he, I, I really enjoyed writing this book. It was really fun. And I had such a good time writing it and reading chapter by chapter to the kids. I actually have nine nieces and nephews now. I have several sisters, so a bunch of them all have children. So I promised each one a book. Oh, so the second one is for... Um, Cristiano's little brother. And then there's a third one that I'm currently working on, which is for one of their cousins. So we're going to have a lot more coming. <laughs> so so Cristiano is your your nephew? Yes. Ah, okay. So he was 11 for his 11th birthday, this book. Yes, he ah. turned 11 and I decided, you know, he loves Harry Potter. Ah. So in the spirit of that, you're going to get something magical on your 11th birthday as well, which is this book, which I really hoped he liked. <laughs> Oh, well, it's, it's something special. It it, it really absolutely is. is. And yes. I think it's very charming to read. Yeah. The characters are charming. I mean, there's no one who's malicious or anything. I mean, it's not... You don't get the feeling of the book being dangerous or what's going on being dangerous. It's fun. Yeah, for him, yeah. I wanted to do something... My nephew, is he's very intelligent. He soaks things up like a sponge. So I wanted to write something that was for him um and he loves riddles he loves solving little brain teasers and unfortunately i'm very bad at writing riddles so i tried to make one that he i knew he was going to figure out in five seconds but i was like honey i your aunt's only got so much going on upstairs this is what we gotta do. <laughs> so um yeah i want him to to have a book that it reflected how he can use critical thinking to just take the evidence around him and they can solve a puzzle that was, I didn't mean all of the books to like have a lesson, but with him, I definitely wanted to show that he has this big brain and he should use it. And sometimes you'll have grownups who are telling you something different that not in a malicious way, not in a mean way, but you still have to use the evidence in front of you to come to a decision and actually use critical thinking skills. Cause I think that's something that at least over here in the U S a lot of adults aren't using their critical thinking <laughs> skills very well. So I'm not really worried about the younger generation. They're pretty good at it. But just as a little <laughs> reminder, like use use what you got. <laughs> yep. And keep using it. Mm-hmm. And okay. keep using it. Yep. Exactly. Definitely. And you oh, is it be fair? Would it be fair to say that it was also a lot of uh, world building involved in this story? Because you call it a story of Antiphas. I hope mm. I pronounce it correctly. So it's a new world so to speak, a world made up of magic completely, I suppose. Yeah, this was the first time that I've done that too. So this was a, a, a an experiment for me. So, um, and yeah, you pronounced it pretty well, actually. I've been ridiculous, pronounced it as antifaz. Um, <laughs> there's a lot of um, anagrams in this. So antifaz is fantasy. Um, yeah. So that's been a lot of, yeah, there's a little bit, you'll notice throughout the books, there's little like teasers like that in there. And that was also just fun. I like anagrams. And I also realized that once I started doing that, I could create this whole new language that sounded good coming out of it. It sounded like it actually didn't 
sometimes in my brain, when I read the fantasy book and they're trying to make up their own language, sometimes I think it sounds ridiculous. And this is probably me being biased, but I thought it sounded pretty good when I did it. So <laughs> that also, the way it sounded, I liked it. And I also like the fact that it wasn't an anagram and that there's a, there's several you know tossed all throughout the book so if kids do start to realize it, it's just something fun and something a little bit extra mm. but the world building was exciting I had a really good time with that it was just fun it was silly I'm trying to write something like Terry Pratchett-esque mm. where it's it's intelligent but smart and I know I'm very far from Terry Pratchett but we're working on it so <laughs> it was a good time and sorry Tico. and as Christian Cristiano, Cristiano is your real nephew and appears in the story is his aunt in the story you yes so there's a lot of all of the grown-ups are very caricatured versions of themselves i tried to keep the kids when they're in it as true to the kids as possible but you know like a kid when you're looking at grown-ups basically they're always caricatures of themselves like when you are when you're little your your parents seem so much larger than life everyone's bigger than you So we have been immortalized as weirdos. So yes, I am Aunt Laoya is based on me. They definitely know me as like the silly aunt. So that's why I'm <laughs> the, the head of the party department. And then in the more of the aunts and uncles show up in the second book, actually. So that was fun too. Getting getting to poke fun at my sisters was pretty fun. <laughs> <laughs> so, I definitely had a good time writing those sections in the second book. <laughs> Do you still get invited to family <laughs> gatherings then? <laughs> they, uh, you know, they've enjoyed it. It keeps their kids under control when we're at okay. family events. I'll, <laughs> I'll, I'll gather the brood and we'll read a chapter or two. So it's a small price to pay. <laughs> mm, yeah, true. That's true indeed. And I was wondering, you said um, you, you have to write more books and for your other, other nephews and, and nieces and... So we always think it's good to recommend books to our listeners. So uh, what would you say? Who can, who shall, who should buy this book? Because we all know when you are an aunt, an uncle, a grandfather, grandmother, you always look for books to give as an, at Christmas and everything else. So which age bracket would you say belong your book in? So I would say that this is, it's broad. I tried to make it silly enough that a little brother or a little sister could enjoy listening to it and intelligent enough that the grown up reading it could have a fun time too. So I usually say they're from about six to 12. Hmm. It's definitely going to be a little bit of a bigger book for a six year old. But if you've got someone who's about to turn seven or eight, then it's probably the sweet spot, but from six to 12, realistically, um, the next book is actually a little bit more scarier, even though I wrote that for a five year old, because he always goes, Make it scary, Aya. Make it scary. <laughs> so I wrote to please. So that one has a little bit more action and danger in it. But yes, I think this is, it's a great family read. So like I said, six to 12 is probably the sweet spot. I have some, a nephew and niece who are both teenagers now and the other ones are coming up on it. So it might age up as the series goes, but I'm going to try and keep it for the middle grades. And I'm You know, yeah, that's that's probably the, the best age range for that is six to 12, realistically. 
Mm. And would you say that sometimes books tend to underestimate the mm. readership, uh, even the children, or especially the children? Maybe I don't know. Yeah, I thankfully I I mean when I was growing up, I I loved reading. I I loved reading all the time and trying to get my hands on things that were probably beyond my age bracket because I did sometimes think that it's hard to be a reader when you're 11 or 12 because you're still a kid, but mm. you want something that's a little bit more challenging. So I don't think that children's books always speak down to kids. I think there's a lot of great writers out there. I just know that I didn't want to be one that spoke down to children. So I that's why I tried very, very hard to make sure that I really listened to the way that my nephew and nieces spoke so I could get them translated well on the page because I knew that if I got someone wrong, Or if I wrote something in a way that they would be insulted at, that I would never hear the end of it. So I think actually getting more like the um, the motivations of why kids do things down on page is really important. I, I used to teach an after school drama class. And one of the biggest things that would help me keep kids in line was understanding that if like Jenny hit Susie, why she did it. Because if I put words in her mouth and said, oh, you hit her because she has your ball, whereas maybe. Susie says something mean to her earlier. She, you know, the other kids and they get very upset. Be like, no, that's not why I did this thing. So being able to actually understand children's motivations and get that down on paper and say, I know that you're not just this little feral ball of energy, which sometimes they are, but <laughs> I understand where you're coming from. I think that can be, I remember being a kid and I would get very upset when people didn't understand what I was trying to say. So I think that this book actually attempts to make gap that bridge between adult and child and like say, hey, I know, I understand what you're trying to do and where you're coming from or like why you're upset instead of just saying you're upset, stop crying. So I think that's why maybe some of the kids like this book is because they're like, oh, yeah, I do talk like this. I do think like that. This makes sense to me. It's not just you're over here now doing something. <laughs> you're over here. So, I mean, it is, that's a little bit of a convoluted answer. Yeah, I do understand. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Oh. Do you think it is more challenging when you write the books more or less for your family mm. or for an unknown audience? Oh. That's actually interesting because when I was writing the poetry book, as your previous guest said, you know, I know he said that it was easier to write a book that you didn't think anyone else was going to read. That's how I went into Egg-Shaped Ball. I wasn't really thinking anyone else was going to read it. It's a poetry book about rugby. How many people are going <laughs> to get this book? Um, um. <laughs> hey! <laughs> we, yes. we, we, I think, would get it. Maybe. <laughs> yeah, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> well, fabulous. <laughs> um, so that was, I mean, initially, I actually have had more people read it than I thought I was going to, which is exciting. But it was, this one was, the children's book is tough. I think mm -hmm. it is tough because I am reading for a specific child while also hoping to have like, you know, some commercial success with it. Yep. So that one, this, this has been harder. This has been a lot harder. The poetry is hard in the sense of I'm trying to write it in forms and make sure I'm fitting like technically harder, yep. but mm -hmm. like emotionally and morally with the children's book, it's so much fun to write them. And I love doing it, but you're just like, Oh my God, Oh my God, are the kids going to hate this? Are they going to like it? <laughs> 
Would you say that you might use your nieces and nephews as beta readers in the future? I do now, actually. So when I'm working on drafts, I would go home and I would read them a chapter or two, whatever I had finished. And I would ask them questions. Do you like this? Or, you know, is it good? I showed little Alessio, he stars in the second book. I showed him the cover, actually, when I was designing the cover for Death at Dust Bar. And he was probably maybe four at the time. He mm -hmm. comes over and he looks at it and he goes, hmm, I don't like it. And walks away. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Cool. And then I showed it to the rest of the kids and they're like, it's fine. It's good. And I was like, okay, well, at least I know Alessio won't lie to me. So, <laughs> so they're very good to have. I definitely think children make excellent book critics. <laughs> I can imagine that. And I also wanted to ask you about the illustrations in your book. They yeah. were, they were, uh, but they were not done by you, were they? No, they were done by my friend and very talented artist, Lee Thompson. Um, he actually founded his own, you know, it's called like, the Barnhouse Collective. They do animations. They do all kinds of incredible stuff. Lee was great. I loved working with him on this. One, I, he captured my images and like the, the, the tone I wanted so well, but it was also incredible because we would have zoom meetings like this and he would start drawing <laughs> things for me and watching them come to life in real time was incredible. I, mm -hmm. yeah, Lee, Lee Thompson's an amazing illustrator. I love working with him on this. So you could, you could watch him. So did he, did he share his screen then? Yeah, he would ah, share his screen with me and we would start talking colors and uh, he would start breaking it down. I would see his sketch and he'd be like, oh, I have an idea. So Lee also brought his own vision to this, too, because I would give him a very basic description um, or, as, you know, much detail as I could. But he would then come back with something where I I couldn't have pictured it the way he saw it in my head. So the collaboration where he's literally done what I want him to do, but with his own spin on it was such a fun experience and getting to work with another artist. It was just great. It was, it was a great, great time. He had a lot of fun with it. I had fun with it. He did the illustrations in the second book as well. So we're hoping to keep the partnership going, mm -hmm. which will be really fun. But he's, yeah, he excellent, excellent illustrator. It was so much fun to watch his brain come to life and take something and make it new, which is also just the fun thing about collaborations. You never yep. know what you're going to get. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And is there also, might there be the idea of doing a picture book for younger children as well? Mm. I mean, they are fabulous, those, those pictures. And yeah. I can imagine he has also ideas about what the characters might look like. Yeah, he had, do you mean the characters, like the, the people characters? Yep. For example, okay. also the ogre and everything else. Yeah, so those, that was a, a deliberate choice on me not to draw any of the characters because I remembered as a kid being really annoyed if I saw a drawing of a character that I had a picture of in my head and it didn't look like the person. Yeah. So I wanted to do characters where every kid could imagine, you know, like the, the grand magician. I wanted kids to be able to, you know, if they think of their grandpa to imagine their grandpa or some other kindly gentleman they know to fill that face in there. So it can fit for every other kid, yeah. um, which it won't for every, obviously not for everyone, but I just, I remembered that and I made a very deliberate choice. You're like, I'm not going to annoy some poor little reader who's like, that is not what that person looks like and you got it wrong. <laughs> so anyone who has like a, a person probably isn't going to be depicted, but I wanted to use the illustrations to bring you into the world, which is why there's, you know, the quill and the frog and, you know, volleyball was a big hit with the little kids. They liked him. <laughs> I think having a, a bit of a stuffy 
sort of villain character is always fun <laughs> in those books. So the kids definitely enjoyed him. He shows up in the second one as well. Ah, good. Because he's cheeky. Actually, oh, <laughs> I know. He's fun. I really yeah. enjoy yeah. him. I don't know how he got his name. I think that was a moment of desperation. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Probably too many cups of coffee and then just like a jittery hand writing down notes. <laughs> I thought about Bollywood films, but a little bit, yeah. But um, there's actually, I, I, I probably should have told you about this too. I wrote a free prequel to yeah, these yeah. books yeah, yeah. Um, because the youngest niece just turned a year old. So she has a short little novella that's actually... Um, yeah, you know, if you if you look up at my publisher's website, that's for free. You can listen to the audiobook or read it there. She actually has the scariest one of all, but the way that she saves the day in that I have had confirmation from her mother is perfectly plausible. So <laughs> <laughs> if you want to check that one out, it is pretty funny, but it is spooky. I think I wrote it probably like last fall, realistically. So that was what inspired that. But that's a fun one too. So people want to learn a little bit more like how there are some books that are going to be lighter. There's some that are a little bit scary because those are fun too. And I remember being, I liked being spooked when I was little and like maybe like having some kind of thrill or danger in the book. So this one, that yeah. So that one's called, um, wow, it would be great if I could remember it. <laughs> the Aria of Death. The, the prequel? Yes, that's you the mean, one. Yeah. Aria is her name. So Aria, yeah, oh, thank you for yeah. remembering the title of my book. <laughs> I've, I've written it down here, so I came prepared. <laughs> that was also what I used to practice recording the audiobooks, because mm. um, I, I did that myself, which is, uh. I had a great time doing that. I actually have to get to work on the second one, but <laughs> we'll get there. Mm. <laughs> but uh, like I said before, I mean, doing a picture book, out of your books is that an option have you thought about it with your with your friends and really, illustrator really young really ones. i mean for the really really young ones yeah i maybe we haven't gotten that far yet uh, that actually might be um i know i know that lee had a good time doing this because he hadn't he does a lot of freelance work so this was the first like illustrations that he's got to do in a while that's a good idea i hadn't even thought about it to be honest <laughs> probably should at some point i could see little fun little vignettes um actually of like antifas occurrences going on that should be a really good idea you might have inspired something thank you <laughs> you're welcome you're welcome um and uh, which also brings me to another question i mean how do we get children to read what oh. would you say what 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 is the most important ingredient or what does it take what does it need to or, make children read a or book? is it enough to read to them when they're oh. younger i that's how i started reading i started reading because a grown-up read to me when i was little so my my parents would read books to me all the time i would my mom in the car i always wanted to hear stories so she had memorized the Lord of the Rings and would tell it to me on car rides <laughs> because I wanted to hear stories all the time. And then I also think that I, I had little books on tape. I, so I was reading books, listening to books. So that's why another reason why I did the audiobook. I know that in today's world, at least for American kids, things are very busy. You have to get stuff done, but having someone tell you a story is the oldest form of entertainment. So why not go back to your roots, you know? So having an audiobook, I don't think is, I don't think that that's really any kind of detriment because also you, you memorize the story. You're still retaining it. So, but I think, I think you're right. I do think just reading to children at a young age is how you do it. You, you lead by example, right? So 
reading to a kid at a young age is probably what's going to influence them to read or listen to books or decide to pick up a book on the whim when they get older. Um, I really think it is just leading by example. And also making sure the book's entertaining. And maybe reading yourself, because if the children see you reading, they might pick it up themselves later on. And I, I mean, I, I remember being a kid and waking up, my mom would have already been up early to get us to school and she'd be sitting there with her coffee reading an Agatha Christie. And then I would want to see what she was reading. So yeah, I, I think being a reading adult helps foster reading children. Mm -hmm. um, and also making reading... I mean, my mom would, when we were little, she would read us Winnie the Pooh stories. And then there was this game they played called Pooh Sticks, where they would drop sticks into the water. Yep. So when we went to the park, we would go play Pooh Sticks. So we would, you know, it was, you can, you can do different things to just, the books don't have to be boring. You don't need to, reading's not boring. It's exciting. It's fun. Yep. And I think if you show that, that's going to be something that fosters those feelings in kids. You saw the Pooh Sticks. Do you remember Teacup? Yeah. A few years ago, there was a Winnie the Pooh exhibition at the really? Victoria and Albert Museum. Oh, and wow. so there was something for the, the kids and also something for interesting for adults. The grown-ups. Most visitors when we were there were a bit older. Mm. Yep. And they, they did something via video. So they projected uh, the river and the bridge onto the floor and where you could do more or less the poo sticks. So the, watch it. <laughs> It was really lovely. Yeah, it was wonderful. That's so cute. <laughs> yep, yep. I, I think the children had a lot of fun and so did we, yeah, the grown-ups. It was, it was fun. Oh, But I have to say they only had the T-shirts for the children. Yeah. Oh, no. Which I find most discriminating. Yeah. <laughs> we should have sued them. Yes, definitely. Ageist. <laughs> yep. Mm. So we were, I could only get a bag and a picture. Yeah. But no yeah, picture. Yeah. Yeah. It's always it's always Simple. the same. I mean, for us adults, the cute ones are always for the children. I want them too. Excuse me. <laughs> They're fun. And would you say that mm, children could read, I mean, books written for them, uh, also that they could read all kinds of genres? Or would you say there is a genre not suitable? I mean... Uh, except for uh, romance, of I course. But and, and horrors, maybe not. Mm, why not? I mean, I mean, scary, but not horror. Yeah, stories. scary, but not horror. Yeah, I mean, I definitely think there's... I mean, it also depends on the kid. I I mean, I had... I remember one of my good friends in middle school, her name was Anne. She was reading... Her maturity level was way above me. She was just a very smart, very intelligent girl. And she was reading books that, you know, were like this big and we're in the second grade. And I'm like, my eyes are bugging out and I don't understand how she's doing this. But she also had, I, I think that depends on the grown up and the relationship with your kid. You know, her, um, you know, her mother was a pharmacist and they, they would, they would, they were able to discuss things. So probably if she read something that was scary or too much, you could go get a calm description of it or an explanation of it from an adult. And I think that's, that's been one of the things that as an aunt and as working, you know, after having worked with some kids on occasion, being honest and not immediately becoming inflammatory or freaking out when a kid approaches you with something that they're scared by or something that maybe was not quite age appropriate And just giving them a, a staid explanation of the item is normally best. But I mean, obviously with things like horror and if it's a, a seven-year-old who scares easily, probably not. If it's a seven, if it's a little kid like my nephew who wants things to be scarier, 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 <laughs> spice it up a little bit. But I mean, I'm not going to go bring him to see like a Saw movie or something, mm -hmm. but... She couldn't yeah, watch I that either, so... I don't want to. You don't have to, but just saying. Thank you. 
Like I, I love horror. I'm also a horror fan, but I do think that, I mean, I, there's stuff that I can't do like body horror. Mm. It grosses me out too much. Mm. Can't do it. I actually read a great book called the return. Mm. Um, it was so good. It's an incredible, I think horror actually does an amazing job at being a, a great like sociological study. And, and when I think horror has become the new, at least in the sense of how I think about the great, like they always say like the great American novel mm-hmm. um, as something that can like look through society or like hone in on a societal issue. The Return, Rachel Harrison, I believe is the author's name. I'm going to double check that real quick for you. Um, I loved it. This was the first book in a long time. Yeah. Rachel Harrison was Mm -hmm. her name, Mm -hmm. but she really breaks down like female friendships and and, it is it's in America. So maybe like culturally things will be different, but at least from my perspective, she did such a good job of breaking it down, making it realistic, talking about the, the amazing relationships that can come from it while also having the insecurities that can form when you have a group of people who are friends rather than just a one-on-one connection. Mm -hmm. And then she also has body horror happening, which was gross, but so well done. I um, highly recommend that book. It's it's not um it's not like gratuitous body horror. She she filters it in really well, but it, it's such a good book. I highly recommend it. But I I think that with her book, she is breaking down interesting relationships and also class issues and it was it's such a good it was a fascinating like I I do think that horror when it actually looks at a human issue is potentially becomes one of the great like American novels you just Mm -hmm. mentioned class issues I mean don't get me wrong don't be offended if if, if I ask that but would you say or correct me if I'm wrong but we always or sometimes often (laughs) get the impression that America is the most class conscious society in the world but they, but we always feel that the Americans say they have no class system. It's very, it's nebulous. It definitely, there, there is certainly a class system, but because of, I mean, because of like clubs or, um, you know, if you go to a public school, you can have a mesh there that makes it more intertwined and it can, you, there's, there's definitely a class system in the sense of, you know, wealth disparity for sure. But I honestly, like from an American perspective, I always thought that like, just from watching like Korean dramas, I thought that like Korea has a very strict like class system. I mean, this is just me watching the show. I I haven't ever been to Korea or like done like a deep sociological like study on it. So I could be very wrong. But just from what I see from like, um, like the movie Parasite, Mm -hmm. that seemed, you know, that was that, you know, and then I'm watching um, Little Women right now, um, the show that they have out on Netflix, which is really fun. But I mean, I can definitely say that there's a, God, it's, it's very hard to describe here, because it's more understated. It's not like you, you shouldn't show your face here because you're, you're poor, but you wouldn't even think about going to this place because you're poor. Like you wouldn't even go to this, this fancy club in, you know, like the center of Philadelphia because you have absolutely no way of accessing it. And then if you went, you might stand out like a sore thumb, but maybe you won't. Not that anyone would turn you away or be like, you can't wear those shoes in here, but there's, it's just sort of like the, like nausea of it. Like you would feel out of place walking in it, that it's very, I would say unconscious 
Mm-hmm. I want, I think that might be a better description. Like you, you unconsciously know that you're not supposed to be mm-hmm. here, that kind of thing, or like going to certain neighborhoods. Like I, I know, like I'm, we're like, you know, we're probably like middle class, like we're probably straight in the middle, middle class, but there's neighborhoods here where if I walked in, I would be like staring at people's homes because you're just like, oh, wow, <laughs> I can't afford that. You know, it's, it's like I said, so it's not like no one's going to turn me away at the gate or anything, but I will know. It will be made clear. Oh. I am under this. Yeah. Class. Yeah. 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 And those people might be perfectly lovely and, you know, offer me inside and give me drinks and it'll be, you know, fine, but you're just, you're very aware of where you are. Yeah. 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 Do you think it would be somehow easier if it would if there would be a let's say like kind of a official class system where you know okay you're part of this class and this the other person's another class it would be easier to I don't know manage public life I don't think so because I personally I love being able to wander through different groups of people like one of the best experiences best and worst experiences I ever had was (laughs) taking a train from Pennsylvania across the country to California It was one of the best experiences I ever had because there were so many different walks of life on that train. And it was one of the worst experiences I ever had because the American train system is trash. But (laughs) (laughs) I think having opportunities, I think being able to meet people of different classes and actually engage with other people makes society better in my opinion I think it's more helpful and like my husband he had been in the marines for several years he had people from all walks of life all different religions different colors different classes and he said it was probably for his younger marines who were just joined out of high school and who maybe had never left their hometown or for people who were doing it just because it was a job he said I think on the maturity and like a societal level, it was very, very good for them because they were forced to interact with people who didn't think like them or didn't look Mm -hmm. like them. So personally, I think having more opportunities for people to meld together, whether it goes well or it gets a little messy, I I think, because I I mean, I I knew I grew up in a very small town that did not have a lot of people of color at all because it was just based on like back over a few hundred years, not a few hundred, over a hundred years ago. There had been um, a lot of like Mennonites who had lived there and a lot, it was a very, very just tiny little farming community. So when I got to go out to the wider world of, you know, a suburb of Philadelphia, it was like, <laughs> whoa, it's cosmopolitan. You know, it was, it was huge for me. My education shot up. I got to meet people and just learn new things. I think having a, I think you're right in the sense of like, it's also just nice to know where you stand and how the lay of the land is, which is always good but I think being uncomfortable and having to having to meld mind meld with other people I think mm-hmm. as a as in the long-term effects I think it can be a lot better yeah I'm also wondering now of course again back to the books for me because as an indie author you have more or less all the freedom you want writing whatever you want so would you like to tip your toe into uh, books for adults and if so which genre would it be then i actually have two manuscripts that i've been working on for a while i one is i guess it could technically be young adult but i don't really want it to be young adult i think it's just going to be a it's a, a dark fantasy novel that has been completely plotted out and most of it is written but i have to finish it <laughs> 
And then I was also working on a horror novel. Mm. Um, yeah, so I I like a lot. I'm a very eclectic reader, and I am determined to be an eclectic writer. Um, so when these <laughs> adult books actually come out, I'm, I'm thinking on my website that I'm going to have to leave a little section that's like, for the adults, kids don't go here yet. Like, wait for your birthday, then you can check it out. But I, yeah, I, I I also have a plan for another poetry book that's sort of cooking at the moment. So we'll see how that goes. Basically, the pandemic made me realize that there's no point in waiting to do the stuff mm-hmm. you want to do. So do the stuff you want to do, wear the ridiculous clothes. My wardrobe got very crazy during the pandemic. <laughs> I was just like going through, there's this app called Vinted that I love. And it's just, you know, like people will sell their clothes online. So I'm getting like buying wigs. I'm buying all kinds of crazy outfits. And my husband is like, what is happening? I was like, don't worry about it. It's great. It's fine. <laughs> okay. Yep. Yep. It's been a good time. So basically just be, I, I have a good time being ridiculous and I'm, I'm determined not to pigeonhole myself. Yeah. So when I have time to write, I'm going to write what I want. And then I'm going to try and do it well. That's another mm-hmm. thing I'm going to try. I'm trying to make sure that I don't just rush things. I want yeah. to actually make it polished and yeah. nice and make it something worth reading. Yeah. Would you say that as an indie author, it's easier then to not get pigeonholed? Yeah, I think so. In that regard, I do think it's nice to be an indie author. And I'm very fortunate because I'm part of an indie uh, collective Indies United Publishing, which has been incredible. Um, We all pitch in. We all help advertise with each other's books. Like on my website, I have an in the spotlight section where I highlight different books from the authors in the co-op. They do the same. Lisa Orban, who has been organizing all of this, is an angel. I don't know how she keeps us all on track or it's like she... She's incredible, but this says I, I was so happy that I found them and I I submitted a shape ball to them because you have you know submit to be accepted and um, they liked it, which I was very grateful for, and that's how I got started with them. So it's tough. I mean, it is it is tough to be an indie author, but that freedom to do what you want when you want to do it is. So nice because I know most Mm -hmm. of us all have day jobs like we all have something else that we're doing so it's tough I mean and life is just busy no matter what's going on like it's just hard sometimes but yeah in that regard in terms of being able to do what you want to do that's being the author is great for that. Mm -hmm. And also the question is for the indie authors what about events do you have events from your I mean indie indie publishing uh, house or do you are you or are you thinking of organizing something a meet and greet or something like that yeah so i've actually done i i'm organizing i've done a book reading for death at dust bar um in my hometown and i'm doing another one actually on the 22nd Mm-hmm. Uh, at a really lovely little like thrift store boutique in Downingtown, Pennsylvania, which is fun. So I'm I'm doing that. But I know that some of the other authors in the collective have wanted to get together and do an, like a maybe organize a festival on our own. It's just kind of tough because we're all over the country. Yeah, yeah. Um, thankfully, though, I do have some people who are on the East Coast with me who are only maybe two hours away or so. So I think we're going to try and organize something. I know that we've talked about it before, which would be awesome. But with events, I, yes, I, I like to talk to people. Obviously, I haven't shut up yet. So <laughs> um, good for I you. Think those are really fun. I <laughs> <laughs> I like doing book readings and engaging with people and talking. Um, so I, I've gone to a library and talked. There was actually a really cute little kids like writing club 
at a library and I went and spoke with them and we talked about publishing and writing and um, that was great. That was a great way to get the name out there about the book and then doing another book reading, I think has been good as well. But you also have to, that can be good in the sense of that you will find someone who has a store and you won't have to pay a fee to use it, but you've got to get people to the events. And there's a lot Mm -hmm. of hard work that comes in that's not writing. which I think indie authors, maybe all authors aren't prepared for. Mm. So like I made little postcards for my book um, with reviews on them. And I just mailed them out to wherever neighborhoods are going to be near this book reading. But that's a lot of like, you gotta write these postcards. (laughs) So, but it also costs money. So you need to be prepared for that. And I don't think it, yeah, so it's tough. It can be very, very tough. You'll like, I remember thinking, oh my God, it's more time consuming to market these books than it is to write this book. Yeah. So that's mm-hmm. something that time management is key. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And would you say that, I mean, you are not on any social media platform as far as I've discovered, uh, but I mean, social media for authors, it's the thing, it's the thing probably, but at the same time, not because we had an author on our show. Time. Yeah. Who, um, just closed down all his media presence on social media and he doesn't do any more social media. Yeah, but he was he was on it before it, so he, he had before. his audience yeah, and his readers. Yeah. He was known because of social media. So it was easier for him to say, oh, m- not anymore. Yeah. I mean, I got rid of it during the pandemic because my it was making my brain explode. And I also realized I was wasting so much time on it that I wasn't writing. Yeah. <laughs> So for me, I have my website and I I know that social media is an incredible tool, but I also found that when I was trying to actively market and engage with people on any platform, it just turned into an echo chamber of authors talking to authors because we were all trying to do the same thing. And we just kept getting stuck of being like, look at my book, look at my book, look at my book. So I found that it has honestly been better for me to just have my website engage with book reviewers, mm-hmm. reach out to people, like physically reach out to them in the sense of maybe like writing them a personal email or, you know, you know, commenting on their websites, mm-hmm. you know, subscribing to their videos. Or, you know, I, I know that if someone else tags me on social media, like, like if I get a mom who's very excited about the book and she posts about it, she has people who are readers that, mm-hmm. you know, like her friends will want it. Yeah. Like I, I'm, I'm depending on other people's social network to market for me if I'm good enough that someone takes a picture of my book, you mm-hmm. know? But I've also found that face-to-face interaction is way more successful in selling books. Mm-hmm. I've had way more success when I, well, maybe more like instant success with lower effort. If I go out, talk about my book and then people will buy it. You, you, mm-hmm. you, you have a relationship, you have that face-to-face interaction. Also, instead of just like liking bookstores, on social media, I will contact them and ask them to buy my book. And that's been successful. People will, you know, you'll get a handful of them and will say, yes, sure. But that's more sales than I would have had posting it on Instagram and just hoping that someone sees it. So I think doing more direct action has been better. Social media is great. I think it's done amazing things for poetry and which is another point I was, I had so, I was like, I I need to reach out to, um, Francis was his name. Yep. Yeah. yeah, okay. I, I honestly like really want to reach out to Francis because I, 
It was so fascinating listening to that interview, especially when he was talking about the school shooter drills. And that was funny because I could hear his brain click when you guys, when he had been talking about how like he wants his poetry to make people feel things and have that sort of universal connection. But then he had, there was the disconnect of, of like your culture and American culture, and you don't have that, but you still felt something, you know? But he was like, oh, wait, you guys, like, it was it was interesting when you have to think outside, because mm-hmm. he was writing yeah. for an American audience, which is fine, but it was just amusing to see, like, oh, yeah, like, you can still get a very intense reaction from someone else, but it was good because he was able to tell you guys yeah. about what his life is like in the U.S. It was just, like, really funny to <laughs> hear his brain go, creep, like, yeah. click into gear, and he's like, oh, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it was not just the, the the shootings. I think also when he mentioned the the traffic stops. Yeah. Yes, so, yeah. yes, that was interesting too. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, my stomach drops. Well, I remember when I was a teenager, uh, my stomach would drop mainly because I was like, "Oh God, my parents are going to see this." Like, <laughs> it wasn't really the cop. It was more like, "Oh dear God, my parents are going to find out." <laughs> Well, it's nothing, nothing we worry about here either, I'd say. The funny thing is sometimes things seem and situations seem very similar. Yeah. But people from different backgrounds, different countries, uh, interpret it in a different way because it's uh, seen differently yeah. In, yeah. in different yeah. countries. Yeah. Because like you said, I mean, when I read this poem and I thought, oh God, those, those, those poor children, I mean, doing these kind of drills, I mean, this is so... Uh, Mind-boggling. Yes, and it is. It is as as Kafka-esque as he was describing when he said that they were watching videos of kids throwing apples. I yeah. one of my brother-in-laws um, is a teacher, and one year they were considering giving the teachers buckets of rocks. And I was like, "Who did you pay? Who did you pay to give you this idea? This was a terrible idea. Who scammed you?" Like I think that that's yeah. There's been it is very Kafka. It's just. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, yep. so it's 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 ridiculous and it's crazy and it's insane and it is it, we are all basically just living in Kafka's world right now over here on this end of the <laughs> pond. Like, <we're laughs> yeah, it's always a bit um, surprising. Yeah, but uh, over here things happening. They are you also can surprising. Only wonder too, yeah, so. yeah, yeah. You can't think that you can't you can't imagine that. I mean, if you would put no. it in a book. Everyone would say, oh, this come on, stupid. it's crazy. It's, it's yeah. not possible. Yeah, this is ridiculous. What, what, what this are is you writing? This is completely... Yeah, but really, you're just reading the papers. So. Yeah, just open yeah. Uh, the paper. I mean, we've had conversations with friends. I One of us said something about, oh, that sounds like a dystopian heart, you know, and I'm like, wait, that happened. Like, yep. this is, we are living in a dystopia. Like, this is what, and it's not all, like, this is one of the reasons why I had to get off social media. I was like, obviously, there is a lot of bad going on here in the U.S., but I realized that one thing that made it worse was like, I, you know, I've been talking about echo chambers. All of the bad is so magnified that mm-hmm. you do, like, yeah. I would be, like, feel physically ill, like, almost every other day because I was like, oh, my God, the world is falling apart. It's imploding. And then when I got out of that space, it was so much easier to be like, okay, I'm not going to stick my head in the sand, but getting news from my local paper and figuring out what I can do in yeah. this space with my tools for my local community and try and have a ripple effect is much, it's been better for me. Yeah. <laughs> I've been more productive and I've been more willing to actually engage with my community. And I think that that yeah. at least for me, having the image of like, okay, obviously there's a lot going out beyond my control. 
there are things happening on the national level that are worrisome. I can't really do anything at the moment about that, but I will focus on what I can do and we will try and hope that it builds a bigger effect as time goes on. (laughs) But I have to say, uh, dear listeners, I highly recommend just watching cat videos and cat pictures on social media. It's way better. I mean, it's uplifting, but also very time consuming. Yeah, but stick to the uplifting part then. Yeah. (laughs) That and newscaster bloopers. Definitely recommend this on bad days. But regarding uh, your books, I also think that if you're one post among hundreds others, mm. it might not be really recognizable, yeah. remembered. Otherwise, if you talk to a person, you stand out and mm. they will remember yeah. that. And so it has more yeah. effect. Absolutely. That's what, I, that's what I found. And I, like I said, I, I just enjoyed that more. I like actually having events because you've made something special. Mm-hmm. Maybe they won't buy your book, but they had a good time. You know, mm-hmm. I had, it was the first book reading that I did for my fancy book for the kids. And this family came, it was a grandmother, her daughter and her two grandkids. And she ended up telling me about this children's story that she was working on called Grandma's Hat, where she's, you know, making pancakes for her kid and she flips up a pancake and it falls on her head. And it's, it's really cute. It's really cute. So I, I hope our grandma's beret, I believe it's called. If it's out, I hope that she has had a lot of success with it. But that was really fun. And I was like, mm-hmm. I got to meet you because of this. I wouldn't yeah. have had this connection, yeah. which is what I was saying about the train. That was so I there are so many people I wouldn't have met. And I actually wrote a good chunk of the third book on that train. And I made the poor girl sitting next to me listen to it. <laughs> <laughs> She told me that she had been a nanny and I was like, amazing. Listen to this children's book. (laughs) (laughs) Who knows what might come out of it? I mean, like you said, meeting people is interesting. I mean, even if it's not in person, then uh, like you said, via Zoom or or any other way to connect in person. Or just sitting somewhere and watching people. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Events which are online. I mean, it, it yeah. was one of the plus sides of the pandemic, mm-hmm. doing things this way. Yeah, and I do think, and I I don't think that social media is, I mean, Zoom isn't really social media, obviously, but I, I think that for me, I also try to have one of my like catchphrases is everything in moderation, right? So yeah. like doing stuff via Zoom and being able to connect with people that physically would not have happened. Yeah. Like, this is awesome. I'm having a great time talking to you both. And this wouldn't have happened without this technology. Yeah. So I, I do think that that's incredible with what we've been able to do with it. And like um the David Tennant show staged where they, you know, they were filming that over Zoom. It was him and Michael mm-hmm. Sheen and they were doing like a Zoom production. Yeah. It was really fun. Like a lot of creativity came out of it. Yeah. And um, I mean, this book was born during the pandemic so i think a lot of good came from the creative wise of like you're stuck in this box how do you make it a fun box yeah but yeah i mean it's still good to forge relationships with people yep absolutely yep and what would be your advice for any other independent author out there what should they do what uh, be it a, a writing process be it a marketing any advice you can give I think the most practical advice that I can give is set a schedule, set a time for yourself to write, whether it be for 30 minutes or an hour. And then also make sure that you have, I, I set up a separate little like bank account. So if there is anything that I had to spend on the book, it would come from there because you will 
it, it does, it is costly to market your book. Even if you are trying to save, you know, if you're, you're doing everything on a cost-effective measure, you will probably spend more money. You will, you will spend more money initially <laughs> than you make in sales. And I think, because even like with my co-op, we all ship in, but we have to like, we, we pay dues. So yeah. you need to be prepared for that. I think um, that was one of the bigger shocks. Like, obviously I had to pay my illustrator, I, um, you need to pay for formatting the book. It's either you pay people who know what they're doing or you learn how to do it yourself. And that can be, if you don't know, it's, I mean, I was banging my face against a wall for like hours before <laughs> I like, contacted Lisa and I was like, please put the book together. Like, I can't do this. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I, that's another thing too. trust, trust people who say like, who know what they're doing, get yeah. good referrals, get an editor. <laughs> an editor is going to be your best friend do not fear the red ink the red ink is good <laughs> yeah so time management budget yourself get an editor <laughs> the top three things so in some way you say you have to regard it apart from the creativity part you have to regard it as a business and that's why you have to set your goals and you have to invest in the beginning yeah yeah it is I mean, you know, yeah, I, I, I think you need to be the romanticism of saying I'm an author is great, but you have to work for it. It's work. Yeah. You can't just I mean, you might have you might have the one in a million success of like throwing a poem up on social media and having it become amazing. But like we can't all do that. And like you need to you need to work, I think. Because there's plenty of successful authors out there who probably aren't super famous, but have done enough work where people are buying their books. There's still books in the grocery stores, like someone's buying them. So you just need to actually treat it as, I mean, you don't have to go into super dystopian capitalism. It's a product. You got to push, 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 push. But you do need to like, you do need to work. You're a, you are working on a craft and you need to actually give that craft the respect it deserves. Yeah, sage advice, I'd say. Mm -hmm. And what other plans can we look forward to? I mean, your book two in your Antifa's uh, universe is out on the 19th of October. And what else is there to come in the near future? Uh, yes, um, we are well into the third book following that, um, which features the cousin of Cristiano and Alessio, one of the cousins, I should say. Um, her name is Emily. Ah. And her story begins with a dragon accidentally Ooh. burning down her schoolhouse. Um, <laughs> that book is going to be called Frauds for Warning. And it's going to be a <laughs> Alessio's book is, like I said, Danger and Thrills. Emily's book is going to have some danger as well. It's going to focus on making tough decisions and learning to face your fears head on. So we're going to see how that goes. Okay. Um, as of right now, we've already got some grown-ups being caricatured in there. <laughs> I think I got Emily and her sister done pretty well. Her sister, Samantha, also makes an appearance in the book, being a rather torturous big sister. <laughs> It's very funny. I mean, the, the girls are hysterical. So we have a good time. We'll have to see if volleyball makes an appearance in that one, but we'll see. We'll figure that one out as we go along. Okay. Quite a, a few things to look forward to then. Mm -hmm. Maybe some adult novels in the, in the making. Future. Maybe as soon as next year. I hope so. Ah, <laughs> we keep we keep our fingers crossed yep. for that. Teacup? Yeah. Definitely. <laughs> Absolutely. So Laura, thank you so much for joining us. It was thank a pleasure you. talking to you. It was. It was. It was wonderful. Thank you so much. You did enjoy this episode as much as we did then hit subscribe and don't miss the next episode. 
Also, make sure to follow us on Twitter, Facebook and Instagram. If you like to support us and buy us a coffee, you can do so via Buy Me Coffee and other platforms. You can find all the necessary links in the description. Until next time.